This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Brian O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. Hanging out with me today is Josh Trujillo. I'm not going to list all Josh has on his hands, you know, because it's a mile long right now. He's rather busy, but we'll focus on his six-issue miniseries and relaunch of DC's The Blue Beetle in uh, Graduation Day, and then touch on a few other things. Um, Josh, so glad to finally have you on here. I know scheduling was tough last time around. Oh, no worries. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. The the history of The Blue Beetle is is kind of a long one. He's been around as a character since, I think, the early 1940s, and back then was featured in radio serials and, and all kinds of stuff. He's been Dan, Ted, Jaime. Um, more recently, DC has him as part of the had him as part of the new 52 reboot. Um, and if I'm understanding my history correctly with this, um, this is part of DC's 2021 round robin. It was a fan voted competition. Is that so correct? It's a it's a complicated origin story for my my time on Blue Beetle. Okay. Uh, so uh, you know, a long time ago, I was contacted about working on the character. This was a, a reboot or two ago, I want to say. Okay. But um, it took us a while to kind of generate what we wanted the storyline to be, what we wanted the creative team to be. And so um, we were one of, I want to say, 16 creative teams that were kind of competing in this round robin competition. So uh, for those that don't know, uh, fans would vote on their favorite pitches, basically. And it was a bracket style elimination term- tournament. And so um, I was up against some incredible books, um, a lot of stuff that I really hope sees the light of day. But unfortunately, we didn't make it to the finish line. We got to the semifinals. Um, so I thought that was the end of my time on Blue Beetle. But uh, thankfully, you know, a miracle, by the way, uh, my editor, uh, Andrew Marino, was continuing to kind of advocate for the book and advocate for me on the book. And uh, Jaime has a new movie coming out next year. So this is kind of a way to drum up some excitement and get get people revved up for the next chapter of Blue Beetle. Did you have previous connections to the character? You know, what made you want to write the Blue Beetle? Yeah, so um, 
You know, I definitely grew up rating the dollar bins and looking at old Justice League international stories. So I love Ted. He's a he's an important character and he's a big part of the book too. Um, but for Jaime, I remember uh, before Infinite Crisis, where he debuted, he appeared on this trading card of this trading card game I used to play called Versus. And this was his like official debut was in this card. And so from that moment on, I was like, this is the coolest design. I love that he's, you know, I love that he's Latino. I love that he's a new character. And I love that he's like a, a legacy of Ted and also Dan, the original Blue Beetle. So I read the original John Rogers, Coley Hamner, uh, Duncan Rillo, uh run. And it really like, I don't know, it felt fresh and interesting. And it felt like a real real direct sequel to kind of this Justice League run that was really special to me. But also like they were building out this corner of the DC universe in El Paso with kind of unexpected characters like Peacemaker would show up to be his mentor for a few issues or he'd go up against Eclipso or meet the Phantom Stranger. So for someone that wasn't super well-versed in the DC universe, it was fun that like uh, I could follow Jaime around and like learn about these wacky corners alongside him. Um, so I loved the character in that original run and I kind of followed him in and out over the following years, but it's been a while since we've had like a solid blue beetle book in stores. And I feel like the character has been a little sidelined in, in the wake of other events and other things going on. Uh, so the chance to really like dig my teeth into it and do my take on Jaime is like really exciting. So are the root of his powers the same? You know, is it still the scarab? Yes. Uh, a mystical sci-fi scarab. Uh, is it technology? Is it magic? It's a little both. Uh, lands in El Paso, Texas and latches itself onto Jaime's back. And he's able to transform into this kind of blue beetle superheroic form. Uh, the scarab that attaches itself to him is a living being in its own right. Kaji Da is its name. And so it's a little bit... Uh, you know, dueling personalities and trying to be the best hero you can be. So there's a real youthful infusion to the story you kind of already touched on. He's going to live with his tias, Gloria and Marisol, for a gap year and working in their restaurant. Um, the, the That relaunch suggested a, a new villain to some familiar faces. There's some info out there about a yellow beetle as part of the series. And without giving too much away, is this six-issue series woven into the larger fabric of the DC universe or kind of designed to stand alone? Yeah, so, um, you know, this uh, run is kind of a spiritual successor to that original Blue Beetle run that I was so fond of. And they actually just reprinted a couple omnibuses with that original run, so I definitely checked those out. But, um, you know, Jaime's firmly planted in the DC universe uh, we're learning a lot about a new corner, a new city of the DC universe we've never touched on before called Palmera City. Mm-hmm. And Jaime is going to be spending his gap year hanging out with his tias, like you said, in the restaurant. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a story that it, Blue Beetle is central to. And there's a reason why this is Jaime's fight. And uh, along the way, we're going to meet a whole new supporting cast. We're going to bring in his friends, Paco, Paco and Brenda. We're going to see his family and uh, we're going to fight some new villains and hopefully make some new friends along the way. But there is a yellow beetle. Uh, we're calling her Dynastis. Um, she has she wields a beetle scarab as well. And we're going to kind of learn what her whole deal is and why she why she's in opposition to uh, Jaime and Kajida. 
Well, now with this kind of distinctly Latin overlay to the characters in, in the family background, there was also this this opportunity to introduce new characters, which potentially adds yet more diversity into the mix. You add in his age, and the this this flavor has a, a relaunch design, which implies that you want to bring in younger readers into the comics medium. You know, people who are hungry for a more diverse universe that looks more like them, represents them more mm -hmm. than ever before. So what did you have in mind from the, the story's inception? You know, kind of where did you want to go with Blue Beetle? What was the story you wanted to tell there? Yeah. Um, you know, I will say that this book is for, it's for the longtime fans as well as hopefully the new readers that maybe the movie will bring in. Or, you know, Jaime's appeared in a lot of uh, multimedia. He's been in video games like Injustice. He's appeared on like Batman the Brave and the Bold or Young Justice. And so, um, you know, there are there are and will be new readers who hopefully this is their first kind of foray into the DC universe proper. Um, but like for me, I wanted to tell a story about like what uh, what's next for Jaime? What happens when you're at this crossroad between high school, potentially college, or just living the rest of your life? Like I lived kind of, um, I was a little aimless after high school. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do something with comic books, but that felt like a dream that was a million miles away from what I want, what could possibly do. Um, and so, you know, Jaime's kind of, he's done it already. He's, he's a superhero. He saved the world. He has his family and friends beside him. But like that still doesn't mean he has a plan for his future. You know, you're so busy dealing with one uh, crisis after another, especially in the DC universe where there's constantly an anti-monitor or or someone lurking around the corners. Um, so it's about that in, indecisiveness and find kind of charting your own path going forward. Um, and I think by putting him into a new locale and giving him some new characters to interact with, we really are kind of propelling him into his new place uh, within the DC universe. Okay. Well, talk to me about the, the rest of your creative team. Um, Adrian seems like he's been part of the journey sort of from the beginning. Yeah, Adrian and I were uh, attached at the hip for this Blue Beetle pitch. Um, actually, we started to get contacted about this uh, way back when I did a book for um, Boom Studios called Dodge City. That was kind of like a dodgeball comedy. And so even back then, this was quite a while ago, um, I think my editor knew that Adrian was going to be the right guy. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Adrian Gutierrez, is he has such a youthful, kinetic style. Um, it really kind of, you know, he's a Spanish artist, um, but his influences are very clear when you see his work. It, it is kind of manga influenced. And I think that's really exciting. Um, Will Quintana is his typical colorist and just, I mean, adds so much depth and like vibrancy to every page he works on. I mean, this is a bright, bold superhero book. You know, this is like, uh, what it, I hope this is DC's Spider-Man. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a relatable central character thrown into these larger-than-life situations, perpetually the underdog. And then uh, last but not least, we have uh, Lucas Gattoni, our letterer, who really like adds a lot to the flavor of the book. Uh, something I haven't gotten to talk about much is that the book will have a lot of Spanish-language dialogue in it as well. Okay. And so it's important for us to have an all-Latino creative team. I know that can be... Uh, sometimes it's, a, it's an obstacle, but... These days, you just pick up your phone and it'll automatically translate for you. And it's nothing like we're not going to give away the most sensitive plot information in a different language. But um, 
you know, this reflects Jaime's reality. And I think it reflects a lot of the reality of the readers who are attracted to this book. Yeah. So I'm really thrilled to kind of touch on that for, we've done a little Spanish in Blue Beetle in the past. There was a special issue that was entirely in Spanish several years ago that I love. Um, but this is kind of fully embracing that. That's amazing. I really like that. What do you absolutely love about this character? Uh, you know, I just, I sympathize with him. And I think he's, he's so passionate about the world that he lives in. He's always trying to do better and do right. There is that classic heroic mold of him, but he doesn't have a lot of answers. And so, you know, having this scarab that's maybe thousands of years old attached to him kind of creates a lot of conflict and confusion. And there's that duality between the superhero that he needs to be and the kid that he is. And I think that's like something that I can relate to having, uh, you know, you're, you grow up and you're given more responsibility sometimes than you can necessarily handle. And uh, finding new ways to stress Jaime out is a particular joy of mine. <laughs> well, you had mentioned that the DC is, is developing the, the Blue Beetle movie as well. Will there be any overlap or connection between the storylines? Uh, yeah, um, I would say that I actually don't know what the, happens in the movie for the most part. Um, this, the location that our miniseries is set in Palmera will have an interesting role to play in the movie. And we do bring in um, a character that is yet to be revealed uh, that will appear in the film as well. But um, this, is not the, this is not the comic book version of the movie by any stretch of the imagination. This is just kind of building on that excitement and folding in those elements to make it feel a little more cohesive to new readers. Okay. Well, I wanted to touch on on some of your other stuff too. Um, specifically, it was a recent tweet since I follow you on Twitter that, that really that spoke to me. You said, queer creators are giving the big T's so many new toys to play with. We've always made a huge contributions to the fabric of these universes, but I really feel like we're in a golden age. So talk to me about why now feels like that golden age. And what do you feel like ultimately broke that glass ceiling for the queer creator community? Yeah, like when I started to read comics, I mean, I've always read comics, but it wasn't until I had a job that I could afford to read them regularly. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, when I started to pursue comics as a career uh, or wanted to, I was given a lot of advice by creators who I respected in the industry. And one of the things they told me, this was back in the early 2000s, was to not write about any queer stuff and to kind of downplay that part of my identity if I wanted to succeed. And whether or not that was sound advice and to be a mainstream creator back then, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, we have people like James Tynan, Kate Brumbell, uh, so many incredible writers and creators, Danny Lohr, uh, Vita, uh, that are kind of like establishing new cultural touchstones within these universes. Um, Vita's New Mutants run is kind of transformative and I think is the best thing that's been done with the characters and probably like, I don't want to insult anyone's run, but it's been a long time. Um, and so, you know, whether it's uh, James's Batman run creating all these new characters uh, like uh, like Clown Hunter or um, uh, what's his name? Ghost Hunter? No, not Ghost Hunter. But, um, you know, there's... Uh, there's a lot happening in Marvel and DC, especially kind of on these Infinity comics, these kind of digital exclusives. I introduced a lot of new characters in my whole thing in Wiccan Run. Um, and so it's like, it's like, I don't know, they've uh, 
they've broken all the inmates out of the asylum and now we're running loose and just kind of creating the universe that we've always wanted. Because there's always been queer creators and kind of sensibilities, but they've been under the surface. And even to have characters like uh, Obsidian from DC Comics or North Star come out, you know, those were huge moments, but we can take it so much further. You know, every year we do these um, Marvel Voices Pride specials or DC yeah. has a Pride book. And it's just incredible kind of the diversity in terms of like the differences between queer creators. You know, like Steve Orlando um, did an incredible job with his Mar- Midnighter. He does like a hard and heavy like action books. And then you get someone maybe like me who has a maybe more delicate touch. Uh, and it's like there's room for all of us, which is really exciting because I feel like for the first time, we're all able to just kind of freely express ourselves in the comic format and the readerships there. Sure. I mean, I was going to ask, is is there still, you know, a stigma or stereotype where that expectation is, you know, you need to stay in your lane, just play in the queer sandbox? Or are we past all that at this point? Um, you know, I would say that uh, a couple of years ago, I thought that maybe I was more optimistic and thinking that we had kind of broken that glass ceiling. But I feel like the work doesn't end. And as easy as it is to find work from mainstream, um, maybe cisgender, white, gay creators, there's a lot more work to be done and being inclusive to the other communities within kind of the queer spectrum. And so I do think there's, there's always more work to be done. And also, like, comics have been so good about addressing uh, addressing the needs of that. The readers want books that are authentic to these communities. And so for even like Blue Beetle, having an all-Latino creative team is something kind of revolutionary. It hasn't happened with the character before. Um, and we're not like, that's not something that's like a, a major selling point. But for us, it was important to be authentic to our experiences. Oh, for sure. And if this is if this is the, the golden age, you know, what does the next step look like? Yeah, Um you know, I hope that we create some like uh, a ground, the ground floor that other creators can continue to build on and be weird with it. You know, like I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll see more of Iron Fisher, my gay Captain America character, or we'll see um, some of the contributions like Somnus that have been appearing in Marauders uh, by Steve Orlando, or just, um, you know, I hope that our creations now are kind of folded into the universe. And they become a last, they make a lasting impact. And this isn't just like a blip. Um, Because, you know, uh, comics will follow where the readers go. And I think as long as there's that enthusiasm and you go to every, any convention, you see so many queer cosplayers. And yeah, yeah. I saw that one the other day, (laughs) the Captain America one. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's honestly, it's a huge thrill to see that anything I do or anything my friends do like resonates with readers that much. Yeah. I was trying to connect with you previously um, about your crowdfunding comics, um, Pool Boys. Um, you smashed the funding goal there. I mean, absolutely. Uh, did you expect just a, a strong reception with that one? No, not a, no. Uh, but I'm a worry work too. You know, like I, I was never, uh, I was never sure it was really going to uh, kind of that was going to resonate with people because it's it's a romance comic that's kind of a niche genre still. Um, and it's queer and there's a, it's a demon and a pool boy falling in love in Palm Springs. So I was like, this could be a very niche specialized audience, but people actually really tapped into it. I think they found something kind of genuine there and they were appealing 
appealed a lot to the art style that Josh Cornean did. Um, he and I are just over the moon about this book and we're getting uh, everything out to the Kickstarter backers. Uh, I think around the time this will probably air. Um, so it's, it's really heartening actually. Like I, yeah. you know, it's, it means a lot to me that um, a book that a main publisher would never pick up like pool boys can still find success in, in the ecosystem. Oh, for sure. I mean, will people be able to to buy copies somewhere, you know, after the, the campaign is distributed? Yeah, I, I'm sure Josh and I will have uh, copies available on our Kickstarter, but we're actually planning on getting the book directly to comic shops uh, sometime next year. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll be on that. Uh, we're already talking about what a follow-up would look like. Amazing. That's really cool. Well, I got to give you some props for the marketing effort on that one too. Uh, being able to call in and hear about drink specials at the resort was like masterful. So well yeah, done. Yeah, we did a 1-800 number, which still works. Uh, so you can definitely call in on that and, uh, you know, uh, make your make your stay at the solitaire resort and try to book uh, an experience of your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found the other day, um, the, the other project um, that you're one of the editors on Beyond Sunset, which is an anthology project about SoCal, which I, I lived there for a time. So that interested me. You have some, some other people that I'm familiar with, like Lane Lloyd as a contributor. Um, so tell me more about that project. Yeah, so um, Beyond Sunset is a comics anthology magazine. It includes uh, sometimes articles, sometimes interviews, but mostly comics. And so these are all kind of surreal genre-inspired work set in Southern California. So there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff out there that's about Hollywood, making movies, the entertainment industry. And we wanted to kind of stray as far away from that as possible. Because you know, I've lived in Southern California almost my entire life. And there's so much more. To this area than just the entertainment industry. You know, there are, there are small pockets like, uh, our, you know, Arcadia or, uh, you know, Oceanside or Culver City and just places that kind of get overlooked by uh, mass media. And so we wanted to do something a little more niche, a little more specialized. And so my uh, other editors are Drew Mackey and Glenn Lakin. They do a podcast called Gayest Episode Ever that kind of touches on uh, classic sitcoms and and queer culture. And so Beyond Sunset is not um, exclusively queer, but it is. There are a lot of queer creators involved with it. And uh, we're hoping to do a lot more. Our second issue uh, is themed to weekends. And our first issue was themed to fresh starts, fittingly. And so, uh, yeah, we, every every quarter, every every so often, we're able to get together another issue. That's awesome. Yeah, the the region is full of just like odd, quirky, beautiful little places with my background and uh, landscape photography. We would do weekend workshops like all over the place. Um, yeah, from Joshua Tree and like one of my favorites. I don't know if you're familiar with Julian, but like the apple pies. Um, so we lived in San Diego and it's it's inland when you you get, you know, past the the winery area that's there. But um, this really cool little mountain town that's just known for its apple pies. You can get the apple pies in the grocery stores and stuff in in San Diego and Los Angeles, but that's what they're known for: apple pie, just super and and llama that ran for mayor. So, oh, I might I might have to write down the apple pie bit because uh, our third issue we believe is going to be food centric. Okay, uh, so what a yeah, how fitting for that. Yeah, 
Julian is, is neat. This, it's apple country, which I never would have thought of, of Southern California as like an apple area, but uh, sure enough, it is. There's a place called Apple Valley that does not have apples and it is baffling. That is bizarre. Yes. Um, well, before we wrap up today, I've, I've got a new segment I want to try here. Um, Josh will be able to see it, but the podcast listeners can't. I'm wearing a hat that says hustle on it. Um, I've worn that same hat for every podcast episode I've recorded for this so far because I, I firmly believe art is, an, is a hustle. I've been in the game a long time, 15 years working for entertainers, movies, TVs as a manager and in tech, a decade as a fine art photographer, mixed media artist, and a teacher. I can oh, wow. 100%, I can 100% tell that that Josh's resume you know, alone speaks for how hard he works in the industry. Um, and we have a, a lot of listeners who are themselves professionals in the comics industry or trying to make it. So I just wanted your like golden nugget of knowledge about the hustle that, that people can take with them from listening today that they can apply to their own work. Yeah. Um, you know, I tell people uh, if they want to be in comics, you know, um, you got to be persistent, you got to be patient, and you have to be professional. I'm really glad I got it all down to peace. But uh, <laughs> You know, there's uh, it's a waiting game. You know, if I was very uh, disappointed when we couldn't do Blue Beetle right away, whether it be in the round robin competition or even the years leading up to that, and it's a slow game. And so, you know, sometimes you'll meet an editor and they'll be enthused about talking to you, and you won't hear from them for years. But when you do, it's the right it's the right call, and you they were they were thinking about you the entire time, which is really nice. Um, or like. Uh, you know, I just always tell people be be uh, professional. Don't you know? Don't burn bridges. Try to keep your uh, try to keep your social media clean of a lot of <laughs> a lot of vile uh, opinions. Um, but also, just like you know, follow meet your deadlines. Be kind to the people you work with. The kind of and also like develop these friendships that are really important. I think to working in any industry is like. I've been really lucky enough to have a lot of queer creator friends that I work with. And even beyond that, I, I have now a community that I can tap into for advice or just to support each other's books, honestly, because um, comics can be very isolating. We almost all work from home and we don't know each other necessarily on that, on that personal level. But I think that's an important part of the job is like finding your peers and helping to uplift each other. Yeah. I you touched on uh, um, the rule of P. So the rule of P in the entertainment business is proper planning prevents piss poor performance. So. Well, oh, wow. Yes. Yep. Uh, what else you got cooking? Um, yeah, um, we're doing another whole thing in Wiccan volume, uh, following up on the one that was released last year, but also was in, put in print for Pride this year. Um, so we'll be seeing more of uh, Hulkling and Wiccan's alternate reality boyfriends. Uh, Go Big and uh, Eidolon. And I won't spoil it much more beyond that, but it's a big space adventure. And I I don't know exactly when it comes out, but you'll see it before the end of the year. Um, I'm doing an Agretzico miniseries right now with Oni Press. The third and fourth issues uh, will be out soon. I'm really proud of this one. And I hope everyone checks it out while it's in single issue form. And then um, just some stuff cooking for next year. I, I got, I'll definitely be back, hopefully, to talk uh, a lot more about those. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great to have you back. So where can everyone find you online? 
Yeah, you can find me uh, on my website, joshtrujillo.com, or you can find me on social media at Lost His Keys Man. Lost His Keys Man. I'm not at, at Josh Trujillo. He's a very successful photographer and he just got there first. <laughs> so, where did Lost His Keys Man come from? Yeah, so when I was a kid, um, I saw some TV special about webcomics. This was like when I was in fourth grade. So, there was this, there is, this character called too much coffee man. And I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So I created my own fake superhero called to lost his keys man. And so he's kind of followed me uh, through my comics journey this, all these years. Nice. We should see like a short or something of lost his keys man at some point. I know this is what I I doodled. Perhaps I do have my iPad now. So maybe I'll, I'll draw something up for, for the world to see what a terrible artist I am. Well, we'll look forward to it anyway. Well, Josh, thanks for taking the time to hang out with me on the show today. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Blue Blue Beetle graduation day, final order cutoff is at the end of the month. Um, So make sure to get your pre-order in. It drops in stores the end of November. Is that right? Yeah, November 22nd. Okay, well, I'm really excited about it. The artwork is, is really just stunning. It almost feels too hip for somebody that's old like me to, to read it, but, um, but everything I've seen thus far, you know, you will not be disappointed. Um, and I, I hope we we've sold it well enough. So. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. I hope you guys all check out blue beetle graduation day and all my other stuff too, obviously. But, uh, this story is really special to me and, you know, it's exciting to be a part of a character that there's so much excitement building for. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Compacchetti. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.